This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Otherworld, episodes three and four. Paradise. It's one of mankind's oldest dreams, to find a life where love remains forever young. On the island, I had learned something that I would never forget. Reaching after a false paradise can mean the loss of everything. Paradise begins at home. For us, that was just over the horizon, in some other world. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that would never question a free vacation on a resort, no matter how ominous it was. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? What I think is real is the threat of perpetual laser storms. (laughs) I love laser storms, man. I'm into it. Let's just say, the laser storms could be a little cooler looking. I mean, we'll get into it, but (laughs) laser storms, they raise a lot of questions like, why are there lasers in the clouds? Why are they forming storms? Anyway, this week, before we get into Otherworld, we have to tell everyone, we're joined by a guest. Jen, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Uh, Now, Jen, technically, first appearance, or technically second appearance, we had the same problem with your husband, Nick, in that... We had you on a deleted scene of Harsh Realm, what, two years ago now, Jordan? Yeah, what a horrible thing to do to someone, make them watch Harsh Realm. And then we weren't even full guests. (laughs) (laughs) You're a partial guest on a partial TV show. (laughs) Um, So, Jed, before we get into it, I guess we should ask, since this is your first time, what's your your kind of history with uh, sci-fi TV and such? Um, I did not actually see a lot of sci-fi TV as a child. Um, no one in my family was into Star Trek or anything like that. I never even seen the Star Wars movies until some of them very recently. Really? (laughs) Yeah. You came into it very late in life. It's true. I watched Firefly in university and I've seen some of The Expanse and that might be like largely what I've experienced for (laughs) sci-fi. What's your favorite of, of the shows you've seen? Um, Firefly was pretty good, actually, but it was also a Western, so it's not really pure. <laughs> Sorry, the actual answer is Harsh Realm. Mm, disagree. <laughs> not from that episode I saw. <laughs> All right, you two. What do you say we just get into these episodes then? Sounds good. Let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for episode three, Paradise Lost. Paradise is not what it seems. For some, it comes at a great cost. It could even cost you your life. (laughs) And that is courtesy of Lowell. I think you're more likely to lose your marriage than lose your life on this island. (laughs) Um, Well, the whole episode starts in uh, perhaps the least exciting way possible. We're, We're described, they describe to us an exciting sequence where they steal a boat sail into the ocean, get hit by a la- like a laser storm, the boat falls apart and they're like lost at sea. But we don't see any of that. We're just seeing stock footage of a storm and narration of like what was happening to them, but none of it was ever shot. Weird thing about it too is that it happens in a similar way in the in the next episode too, where there's sort of like an odd situation that's set up, but instead of just leaving it, they feel like they need to add a voiceover. But I almost think it's better if you don't, because it just gets even weirder that they're just in a weird new place without explaining it all 
but I don't know. For some reason, I thought the voiceover was was worse for me. I don't I don't want it explained. Sure, they're on an island. I don't need to see the storm. It probably didn't help me out that I didn't watch the first two episodes, but I was confused why they were on the boat and the voiceover and the laser storm. It was like firing one laser out of clouds every three seconds. <laughs> like it was not like a normal storm. Well, no, it's not a normal storm. It's a laser storm. <laughs> The laser storm was crazy because it is just stock footage of like a storm at sea and then someone's just like drawing a laser <laughs> shooting out of the sky and hitting the water. I love though it's the idea of like how do you make this storm more uh, science fiction? I don't know, let some lasers. I did genuinely laugh at the laser storm. It was, yeah, I mean it was funny and it was just such, it, you're right Jordan, it was so weird to just have a almost two minute monologue it felt like explaining this thing that you never see and then hard cut. And the family's all just, like, waking up casually on a beach. And their clothes are not disheveled at all. They're wearing pristinely pressed white clothing in some cases. One of the the silver lining of getting caught in a a laser storm is that it also presses your clothes. (laughs) I also thought it was funny, too, because they just described, like, a harrowing experience where certainly if your boat fell apart in the storm, you'd have no idea if anyone in your family survived. And they all wake up very casually and they're like, of course we're all on the same beach. It's totally fine. Yeah, it's like they just took a nap on the beach together. Did anyone else think it was weird that the mom, dad, and youngest kid were together, but then the brother and sister were over uh, cuddling over by themselves? I was confused and thought they were maybe a couple because I didn't know who anyone was yet. <laughs> I mean, I also clocked that and I was just like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna dig too deep into what's going on there. <laughs> We essentially have like a castaway situation. They're washing up on shore. We don't know where they are. They don't know where they are. And the first thing we kind of see of this scene is the daughter, whose name is Gina, picks up uh, this like seashells she finds on the beach. And then like she's like, look at this. And it seems to be like a weird crab critter that she goes to pet. And then it's quite clearly someone has it on a piece of fishing line and they just like pull it off her hand. And she's like screams like, oh, what was that? And then we never returned to anything about what was happening with this creature on the beach. That was very weird. I do have something to say about it now, because now hearing you talk about it again, it was like, oh, they actually kind of talk about this island later and what its deal is. And it's like, oh, that might have been why they had that weird creature. Oh. But it's still not necessary. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. You're right, because very late in the show, and I'll spoil it now, they sort of talk about how this used to be a military base and then what became a science island where they did biological and, like, uh, plant experiments. And they're just like, and I think one of the characters says, that explains all the weird animals and plants here. And when they say that, like, 40 minutes from this episode, I was like, what weird animals and plants? Well, I was like, you're in another dimension. Of course the animals and plants are going to be weird. Well, the animals and plants are different, but everyone else is still dressed as if it's 1985. It's true. <laughs> um, anyway, this is sort of the opening of this of this episode. Hal the dad. Actually, maybe I'll tell you this, Jen, in case you didn't catch all their names. There's Hal the dad, June the mom, Trace the son, Gina the daughter, and the youngest son, of course, who we barely see at all in these two episodes, Smith. And this poor kid's being recast from the pilot, and I don't know why, because he's in a total of maybe 30 seconds of these two episodes. It's true. He really never matters. He gets like two scenes where he speaks across both episodes (laughs) he doesn't even get to cuddle with his sister like his older brother only gets to cuddle with mom and dad that's true (laughs) (laughs) um but yes as i was saying hal just like i'm gonna leave the beach i'm gonna see where we've washed up he walks off he immediately discovers they've washed off 
washed up on the Paradise Resort, or Club Paradise Resort, a volcanic island on the Cradian Sea, surrounded by perpetual lightning storms that are controlled with an electromagnetic barrier from the uh, resort's weather room that protect the island so that everyone can come here and have a nice vacation. But how did that work? I don't understand. Like, I get that there could be a technology that can control weather, but... Why would you still have to have the storms? How do the storms protect the weather? I didn't understand. I think that they mentioned that they, like, harness energy from the laser storms. Oh, of course. That makes sense, then. To power the resort. (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. Yes, they've kind of washed up on the resort. Actually, my favorite part of the explanation here was, like, basically they meet a host who welcomes them to this awesome resort island. She's telling them all about the island. And she's like, and of course, with this perpetual laser storm, we do have an emergency escape system that we've never had to use. And I'm just like, I bet you you'll have to use it in 40 minutes. Yeah, she's like, but just in case, this is what it sounds like. Immediately, they're just like, well... If we've washed up in this resort, we're definitely staying here. It looks great. And they're like, please check us in. We have no reservation. And the lady's just like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, did you lose our reservation? Did you lose our luggage before we got here? And they really like browbeat this woman into thinking it's her fault. They don't have a reservation. Yeah, the dad knows how to, uh, in any dimension, he knows how to get what he wants. Dare I say he is the original Karen? (laughs) It was a real Karen move for sure. (laughs) I did like we've seen in previous episodes, Jen, that they've gotten trouble in trouble for not having a zone pass everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. But um, they ended up getting this like fancy crystal that like gives them like unlimited computer access. So this time, when the like head of the island shows up, she's like, "Oh, I see you have a Class A zone zone pass. We always keep a room open for Class A guests." I was wondering how they got that, uh, but I guess that explains it. What do you think the room situation is uh, if you're like a Class C? Do you think it's only it's only a double bed? <laughs> no, it's it's like it's a it's a garden view, not a not a beach view. Oh yeah, well you know, um, but yes, uh, thankfully Hal's been thinking ahead, got them a class A pass, and the island's host, a woman named Scarlet Ray, she's there to personally apologize to them for the inconvenience, and uh, Hal is there to immediately start flirting with her in front of his wife and children. And let me just say right now, this episode um, starts what I think is a structural problem that will be in the next episode too, which is they have about four minutes of content and they need to stretch it out over 45 minutes. So you're going to see the same scene by my count about 3000 times. Yeah. I mean this, look, we can talk about it now. This is the whole set for the episode is that like this woman and Hal are going to start a relationship, but like the idea I think is supposed to be that she's seducing him, but the whole thing is really undercut by the idea that the first time we meet her, Hal is the one who initiates the flirting in front of his family. So as it advances and they start like making out like he's full on cheating on his wife with this woman, it's really hard to get on Hal's side. Obviously, we're not spoiling anything. This, this episode has been uh, people had a chance to watch this for the last 45 years or however long it's been. been off. I, I have no concept of time. Was 1985 45 years ago? Anyways, it seems like the moral of this episode is sort of like stay true to yourself or be a honest person. But... I don't really get what the villain lady's endgame was. Like, was she just trying to fall in love or was she want her little lip perfume? And did he really just, it only take a tiny little bit for him to cheat on his wife? Like, I just didn't know what this episode was. Well, let's talk a little bit about their relationship because that might help explain some of it is like what we see over the course of this episode over many, many scenes is that they're going to slowly fall in love. Hal and this Scarlet Ray woman. 
we get to see them play a uh, game of fission ball, which is the, kind of their real meat cute in this episode. That's the uh, highlight of this episode. You like fission ball, Jen? It was really weird racquetball. <laughs> Des- describe what fission ball is. I tried to take notes to try to figure out what this game was. Like, I don't even know what you call, like, the implement they were using, the plane. It was like a scoop, like, that they fling this fission ball at each other with. Isn't that kind of what they use in High Lie? It's like a yeah. scoop that you throw a ball with, but this one's a a giant silver scoop that covers your entire arm. And if the ball touches you, it sucks because it vaporizes and, I don't know, you fall over. That's it. The ball is like glowing blue and humming. Like, I think the idea is it's maybe like, it's maybe not like a physical object, but like an energy ball maybe. And they're like, but they're bouncing it off the wall. Guys, it's clearly a ball that has been harnessed from the power of the perpetual storms outside. It's a laser ball. They should have called it laser ball. There probably was a trademark on laser ball. But we're saying the, the whole point of the game is to take your scoop arm, throw the laser ball, and hit like a little um, score pattern behind the person, and that's how you get points. You're not supposed to hurt, hit the person, but if you want to um, initiate a unwanted massage, that's how you do it. <laughs> he was yeah. so into that massage. Yeah, he was like, oh, it hurts here. A little lower. <laughs> Oh, and then people in, like, computer rooms are like, oh, his readings are off the charts because he's, like, so horny for it. (laughs) His horny chart was, uh, they've never seen levels like that before. This is what we get to see here because uh, there's clearly something ominous happening behind the scenes. Uh, We we see this dude who's been wandering around the island. He's one of the guests, a a guy named Max Osa, who's searching for his missing son and just keeps bumping into, uh, keeps bumping into the wife, Gina, being like, my son's missing. And they're like, don't listen to him. He's crazy. He has a pretty crazy interest intro when they first see him where he's like oh this island they lose a lot of things sometimes they even lose people and then they <laughs> drag him away and say he's drunk or something and they had too many coconuts yeah you gotta count your coconuts mr osa <laughs> i like osa and more than i like anyone in the family though that's everyone was terrible this episode except for like the wife but like i feel like the message was like stand by your man even when he's being a dirtbag <laughs> Tammy Wynette plays in the background. Mr. Osa really is the driving force behind discovering the plot to this movie, this episode. I don't, I don't think literally anyone in the family attempts to discover the nefarious secret secret until like until they finally just dis- like kill Mr. Osa like late in the episode. Isn't that a funny thing? You have five main characters, and whoever was writing thought, okay, well, let's not have any of them be an active participant in this episode. So let's just create a whole new character who will discover the mystery of this island while the other characters are kind of off screen just swimming all right well let's talk about let's talk a little bit about the nefarious plot behind paradise island uh the skylar ray uses this resort to harvest a liquid from people's lips called coloma and what is coloma a really good lip balm i guess (laughs) it's more than that I mean, that does that. I couldn't wrap my head around that particular why lips were so important to this liquid. But Jordan, what, what, what did you get from about the liquid? It's harvested from people's lips. As everyone knows, the best cologne slash perfume comes from. And what it seems to have is some sort of not mind control properties, but perhaps suggestive properties or something that drops your inhibitions if you have it put on your lips. It also seems to... Like, early on, they seem to imply that it keeps her young and possibly... Because they say she's been on the island for 80 years, and when she applies it to her lips, she, like, 
I guess she de-ages. I mean, it's always tough to tell with the low-quality videos, but I think we're supposed to think it's like a fountain of youth. But you're right. It is also a mind control device. They wanted it to do to, to too many things, so that's why it this plot starts getting muddled. And then on top of that, what we're going to find out is that the whole secret behind this island is they're slowly stealing certain people, uh, certain guests, if they, I guess, have particular properties that would make a good... Um, perfume lit perfume thing but also she might be falling in love with hal and also she might just want to live forever there's a there's a lot going on i i i will i i did note that uh, my favorite part about this thing is like yes they make de- guests disappear bring them to some sort of you know weird science room and then like attach a straw to their lips but they call it <laughs> milking the coloma from their lips <laughs> i mean who hasn't been there Gotta milk that cloma right out of that person's lips. Yeah. But as you mentioned, Jen, there is scientists kind of watching the guests to see who has the best levels of cloma they can take. And it seems to only come from, like, the happiest people. And apparently no one's been so happy on this island as Hal and his family in a long time. So they're very excited. I think one of the scientists says, oh, man, that Hal guy's good for at least 100 drops of cloma. <laughs> I have to say that they're, like, taking this being stuck in another dimension and in a resort where they don't belong, like, super well. They're all just, like, relaxing and enjoying the resort, and I would be, like, a train wreck. I would be like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Well, it's a good point because what we've seen in the show is they've sort of dropped the idea really quickly, any sort of urgency on the family to get home. By episode two, they're just like, well, we're in a different world now. The show doesn't care about them getting home so much as setting them up in weird situations i mean jen you haven't seen this at all but in the previous episode the implication is they've now been here for somewhere in the vein of eight weeks to seven months like they just settled into and into a suburb and started a new life so when they get to this island for them i think they may have been on another world now for a year it's it's always it's impossible to say like I think that's part of the casualness of it now, too, is like, I think we're just supposed to be like, oh, essentially now they just live here. It's like they gave up. Well, every place they go, Hal just gets another job as an engineer, no matter where they go. That is true. He loves getting a new job as an engineer. He has a weird side gig in the next episode, but we can talk about that that's later. That's true. One thing I want to note about the Coloma, because there's this idea that she's stealing it. It's maybe a Fountain of Youth thing. It's maybe a mind control thing. There's also this other side note that's dropped by this character who drops by for two seconds to be like, listen, the uh, Minister of Aesthetics in Imar, he's really disappointed with your production of this of this liquid. So there's also this idea that the government's harvesting this for the Ministry of Aesthetics. Like, I don't know what's happening on this I remember that and I was like what is this ministry is this just like keeping people hot looking and I'm still not sure if that stuff actually is mind control or if Hal's just like a piece of crap that's it is it mind control or is Hal just horny because <laughs> she uses it a lot and it's like would she be mind controlling herself or is she just like immune to it after 80 years of it it is weird like that's the thing like they keep hooking up she keeps rubbing it on his lips or kissing him and it seems to make him more into her but i mean for her i think the idea is she apparently she picks up a photo at some point and she used to have a lover who's maybe dead who i guess looked like hal so she's like i gotta get this hal he he's he's my he's my like soulmate but it's like she's not even subtle about like going for him like everything's right in front of the wife Oh, yeah. No, nobody tries to hide it from the wife. Like, they're doing it directly in front of her. The kids, 
don't like other than a few awkward scenes where like the parents are fighting right in front of them about how like cheating on her the kids are like just on the island having a nice time they're as horny as the dad they're just trying to pick up any hot kid they see (laughs) to be fair one day at like the pool gina's like what the f dad and he's like and just like flips out on her Yeah, she's she's all like, Dad, you're hurting the family. You're clearly cheating on Mom. And he's like, I have feelings too. And they're in my pants. It's your business. It is crazy. Like, the kids are relatively out of this episode. It's mostly Hal cheating on Gina. And I'll note the one scene that, that the youngest son, Smith, gets in this episode was like, truly insane to me as well. Because he like goes to that weather room just to check out the technology of it. And Gina's too busy flirting with the uh, guy who works there, so they don't notice he's like playing with the weather controls. And what we see with Smith is he's he's watching video of people by the pool. And what's happening by the pool is it seems like a couple is trying to pick up a third woman to have a threesome with them, and Smith basically selectively turns off the weather system to cause it to rain on them and ruin the threesome i mean yeah i think that's what happened it was such a weird scene like what is happening on this island and then it cuts to another scene and it didn't matter at all luke if you can think of another way to get lit perfume i'd like to see it such a wild such a such a weird place such a weird episode and this is like probably the first 30 minutes before like kind of i'm gonna talk about what happens like june is mad the whole episode but she doesn't do anything about her husband cheating on her until very late in the episode when Mr. Osa finally goes missing looking for his son. And even then, all she does is, like, she finds a history book about the island somewhere in the resort and reads about how it used to be a government facility. And then she sneaks into Mr. Osa's room and finds a Polaroid photo of his son before he went missing. And he, she's like, brings it back to Hal. She's like, look, he really did have a son. That must mean something. And Hal's like, what? What does it mean? Doesn't he say, he's like, what does this have to do with my boner? that's exactly like none of what she does really equates to anything like the episode kind of just randomly resolves when finally after hal has like totally just making out with scarlet like he's given up on his whole family not only that they do imply that they've had sex i mean i mean for a 1985 show they don't show anything but there's implications that that uh (laughs) i was gonna say something i won't say it it was gonna be about extracting that lip juice but i won't say it milking it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um but that's kind of gotten to the most extreme point where they're like committing to each other in a ceremony june's finally like gathers her kids up she's like we gotta get off this island it's affecting your father negatively (laughs) 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 and they like are it's so crazy because she's like we better go find your dad it's not his fault he's cheating on me and they wander basically into a restricted area where they do all the coloma milking (laughs) <laughs> it's so gross Scarlet's like showing it all that she's like revealing all the secrets to Hal because they're so in love now and basically June walks into the room she's got a laser pistol they had in their luggage and she's just like gives a speech to Hal about how you have to stay true to your family you can't leave us and Hal's just like oh you know what you're right I probably shouldn't break up my family on this other world and she's like uh, it's over between us Scarla. And Scarlet gets so mad, she throws a chair at the weather computer. <laughs> and destroys it. Destroys the whole system just with that, that little chair. There is also a brief moment, and it's not actually that brief, where Hal's just, like, considering whether he should kill his family. Like, he grabs the laser pistol, and are you supposed to hold it, like, upside downsies like that? Or yeah, is in he this just, world, like... it's upside downsies the way you aim your okay. laser pistol. <laughs> 
So yeah, he he took like a good 30 seconds to be like, I guess I shouldn't kill my family for this lady. That is true. There was a moment where it seemed like he might kill his family. You would think that in the next episode, there'd be some awkward tension with the family about like, remember when dad was with that other woman and almost killed us with that laser, but it never comes up again. They're really cool about it. It is wild. Like it is such... He is so demonized in this episode. It's tough for me ever to get back on his side. Like, it is like they really do destroy the father figure in this episode. (laughs) Anyway, she breaks the weather computer. So guess what? It's time to use that emergency escape system they teased at the beginning of the episode. And that emergency escape system, as this laser storm bears down on the island, is five inflatable rafts on a beach. (laughs) (laughs) It, It was so... It was such a... To set it up and then reveal it to be such a low, low thing. Like, it was just like, I'm like, this is so unimpressive that this is what it is. Um, but the family climbs on these, one of these inflatable rafts, rides out into the ocean away from the island, and you cut to a wide shot of the island, and the entire island explodes. <laughs> well, no, but first, you see you see the woman. Uh, I don't, yeah, what was, it, what was her Scarla. name? Scarla. Scarla. And then she gets old, slightly. Oh, right. She sort of gets old. Like, she gets, like, like some crow's feet. That's about it. And then it explodes. I thought she was going to, like, age into dust, and it was going to be really cool, but it was basically like, oh, you got 10 years older, and then exploded <laughs> on the island. And everything's fine again. They did mention it was a volcanic island, so I was like, maybe this is how they depict an eruption. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then, yeah, it ends. The storms dissipate, because apparently once the weather control on the island explodes, there's no more laser storms. And they're just floating out in the ocean on a dinghy. And their narration of the episode, I guess, gives us, I guess, the moral of it. Like, Hal's closing narration tells us, hey, paradise begins at home. And I was like, what? That's the moral? It's like, well, who are you to teach me anything, you monster? <laughs> well, it is interesting because there's a, a nugget of an idea here. And I thought it was really going to be about how it's kind of sad for this older guy to sort of chase his youth and chase a woman that he shouldn't be but it's not really what the episode's about it's like all these weird little ideas but it'd be like wouldn't it be fun if i don't know we pulled perfume out of people's lips yeah i mean it's a classic sci-fi idea it's like you go to paradise but there's something ominous going on underneath of it but it's like the most passing concept of that idea mm-hmm. it was really just like half the episode was like hal and scarla getting it on in some way yeah gratuitously get- getting it on under the two moons of this of this planet they didn't even have a scene where he's like kissing her and then she gets old and he's like, ew, forget this. That's true. That, that would have been, been the been way to go. <laughs> yeah. My wife's younger than you, gross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next episode then. Here is the IMDb summary. Rock and roll suicide. For episode four, rock and roll suicide. <laughs> to get out of the way of the wave we had created. Centrax would never be the same. Neither would we. For castles made of sand must fall into the sea eventually. Rock and roll will never die. Gina and Trace form a rock and roll band and are an immediate success with rock music from our world. However, their newfound success acts like a beacon for Kroll to find the family. And this was courtesy of BGM, or BGP. I'm just going to say right off the top, I think their definition of rock and roll is perhaps a little too broad for me. 
You didn't you didn't think rock and roll? You think it's just too many categories were consumed? Well, there's too many categories jammed together. I don't know who would enjoy these albums with such wildly different uh, different genres within rock and roll. Uh, well, the episode starts with the family. They've moved to a new city, the city of Centrix, which is in a very large province with a population of five million. But of course, as in the episodes we saw last week, <laughs> it is just an 80s suburb like every other episode. Other than the island. The island's the only outlier. The only time they never went to an 80s suburb. And they're always needing engineers in these cities. Yes. Uh, Hal is now a windmill blade engineer. June now works at a children's hospital. Jen, you don't know this, but she's a veterinarian. And every job she's taken, she's like, I'm a dental. I'm a dentist now. Now I work at a children's hospital. I'm like, you are a veterinarian, ma'am. You should not be operating on human beings. To be fair, there's a lot of overlap for animals and people, but she does not sound qualified. She's re- Do you think in or on Earth, the, her big regret was like she never got her full like MD and she gave up at, and became a veterinarian? And on this world, she's just like, there are no rules. I can be whatever I want. I can do illegal surgeries on anyone. I think there's definitely a degree of to hell with it when you're stuck on this other world and it's apparently so easy to con literally everybody into like not knowing you're not a citizen or it's that crystal one they have that uh the access oh. crystal that gives them unlimited things they can do whatever they want here yeah what's what's that like literary device where this thing just fixes all your problems it feels like that's what that crystal is a Dozex machina yes <laughs> i think her biggest regret should be marrying hal am i right yeah. I mean, it seems to be the case. Although I will say this episode, they seem to have rekindled that lost spark that they were trying to figure out on that island. Because when we see Hal at the start of the episode, he is dressed as a clown because he was basically at her children's hospital patch Adamsing it up. But what's the joke here, though? Because they, they mention in this world, and this is such an odd concept we've seen in a few different uh, science fiction shows where... Someone is in a different world, and it's just like our world. But there's a few little things that are tweaked differently. And for some reason on this world, it's exactly like, you know, any town USA in 1985, except there's no clowns? That was something that bothered me so much, because later he's like, no, you can't, like, be stars. You'll draw too much attention to us. Meanwhile, he's dressed as, like, a cosmic horror to these people and going to (laughs) hospitals and scaring children. Like, that's not drawing attention. I the thing I know is about this other than like it's just so weird cause twice they dress him up like a clown so he can go to this hospital to I guess cheer up children who they even say out loud think he's a monster <laughs> well it's because they've heard about what happened in the previous episode but when he's in this clown outfit June is all over him she is groping him she is tickling him she has a clown fetish. I think this is supposed to remedy last episode because he's finally given in and he's dressing up like a clown for her to make up for his infidelity. <laughs> I like that. I buy it. There's no other reason for him to dress up as a clown in this episode. Nothing happens. You never see him at the hospital. He's just occasionally dressed up as a clown and June seems to be very much into him when he is. But again, how much better would it have been if they just never drew any attention to it at all. Because, like, again, in the beginning of this episode, they have a voiceover where he's like, oh, I'm dressed like a clown because I was at a hospital. But it's like, don't even mention it. Just have him dressed like a clown for no reason. That's much funnier. <laughs> I used my access crystal to become a clown in this problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, uh, the main part of this plot is what Gene and Trace are up to. And all the kids, as usual, when they're in one of these suburbs, they've been sent to a new school. Uh, which we come to learn this episode, the schools here are called Developmental Thought Centers. Yeah. They're School 47, is that right? Yes, they're Developmental Thought Center 47. Go Fighting 47s. Yeah. (laughs) 
And what we come to learn is, uh, you know, they're home from school. Trace is watching the uh, home entertainment center, but he's really upset with it because in this province, the radio in this home center has no rock and roll, no pop music, no R&B. There's not even any country. The only thing they seem to listen to in this wor- in this province is like a really like mellow elevator rock. Mm-hmm. I, was that how you describe it? Yeah, it's like Muzak. And, you know, the TV doesn't have anything better on it. Like the only thing that seems to be on TV is a really low production value talk show. But we get to we get to meet, I guess, the villain of this episode on this talk show. It's Dr. Claxton, who seems to be the head of the Church of Artificial Intelligence. And he's being grilled by the woman on this talk show. <laughs> I loved it. And, like, the idea we've seen so far is there's a totalitarian regime that kind of runs this world and you can't speak out against them. But this talk show host is just, like, yelling at this priest, like, the church is a front for the government. You don't worship any gods. You're a fake church that's just used to, like, prop up the government. And Dr. Claxton is just such a bumbling fool he can't even stand up for himself. <laughs> He's like, nah uh it's like, we, we'd, we'd oppose the government if they ever did anything wrong. It is interesting, isn't it, that you think they would be able to keep the world building consistent here of having a talk show that looks like someone is getting grilled hard. But in, what it really is, is they're, you know, throwing softball questions. But you're right. Like, she's actually asking him difficult questions, and he just looks like an idiot. So I was like, why is anyone buying this guy? Well, it's funny because later in the episode, we will see that he actually, like, contacts the Praetor in Emar, the guy who runs who runs the government. And even the Praetor seems to treat this man like a bumbling idiot. Like, maybe what we're supposed to get out of it is, like, nobody likes Dr. Claxton. He's kind of a fool. I guess. Anyway, this is all to say that in this province, possibly all of this world, I have no idea, there is no good entertainment. So when Hal discovers Gina is trying to balance plates on her head in the kitchen, (laughs) he's just like, why do you keep breaking all my plates? And she's just like, we've got a school talent show this week. And... Trace is already showing a slideshow, so I need a different talent. And apparently, because both parents are like, why don't you guys just start a band? Why don't you do that for your talent show? Hard cut to the talent show. Trace and Gina are essentially the White Stripes. He's the front man. She's the drummer. They're amazing musicians, and they are playing perfectly the Beatles. uh, I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand to this audience. Like, they're like, it cuts it's a hard cut to them as a competent, not just competent, an excellent rock and roll group blowing away their peers at this event. The school staff, like the principal's losing his mind. He's never heard anything like this. Well, and I think we literally see the kid's hair blowing back from being blown away by the that's, performance. That's <laughs> later in the episode where they do another performance. But yes, there is a sequence where they play rock and roll music. And and like that RCA commercial where the man's being blown back in his chair, everyone in the audience <laughs> is a wind machine blowing their minds because no one's heard rock and roll before. And this episode is essentially the plot to that movie that Danny Boyle made a couple years ago, yesterday, where there's no Beatles in the world. Hmm. Except this time there's just no rock and roll. So they can just use whatever rock and roll music from Earth to blow away teens in this world. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what era, what decade what real you know subgenre of rock and roll it is everyone loves it it doesn't matter if you're playing a song like from the pretenders to the beatles to whatever acdc they love it all 
it was so like were they using different singer voices for all the different like genres and stuff because i was like there's no way these are these actors voices and they're just doing all these different songs like so well and proficiently it was unbelievable but yeah i mean i assume they must have had people come in and record the vocals because they're they're going from uh david bowie to the rolling stones to the beatles like and i was blown away they're like actually using this music so they like licensed all this music for this episode and this episode almost is a glorified music video there are so many musical sequences like it takes up at least half the episode yeah we're cutting to a lot of them singing almost full songs like and even within the songs where they're singing on a stage where you're in the world like they'll do sequences especially at the top the first time we see them sing they're intercutting it with actual music video footage of the beatles performing and then like just stuff from outside of the world so we're seeing montages of unrelated material like why were there images of the beatles intercut with them singing i don't i don't know like it's just like a full-on music video montage happening and there was also the only episode we've seen at this point where um they're using like odd editing techniques and things like you'll have the screen will you know go into a circle or there'll be these weird dissolves and of like matching footage and stuff like we've never seen anything like that before so they're clearly trying to get across a a style that they haven't had previously at the same time this episode had so many hard cuts and i was having a really bad time dealing with them i was like what we're here now why is this happening that's because there's not enough time to establish anything because we have to see four minute music videos (laughs) i will say it was one thing i noticed too is just like this shows from this time period that we've watched they usually spend spend too much time explaining stuff to us this episode and this show maybe even entirely they will like give you the plot in the first two minutes of the movie or the show and then they'll just like hard cut and they're like now we're a band you don't have to see them practicing like now we're a popular band <laughs> yeah i don't well and we we'll, can talk about it more as the episode goes on but there is a third member of the band and it's the bass player and this poor woman not only is she always on stage with them she i don't even know if she ever gets name checked and she sure doesn't get any toys made of her and she's always on stage with them and everyone's everyone's like trace and what's her name gina trace gina no one ever says old bass woman well kind of what happens is after they leave this talent show at school like it's just this is a school talent show the principal had to turn off the electricity because it was too rock and roll they couldn't <laughs> take it anymore but all the kids loved it and as they're leaving they bump into billy sunshine a booking agent from this province mm-hmm and he loves their new sound. Yeah, yeah. What does he say about it, Luke? Did you write down exactly what he said? The music is described so many ways. It's just like high energy, tribal, the beats are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but he essentially is like, I got to know what you're calling this. What's this new sound? And they're like, it's called rock and roll, baby. And he's like, I, I, I'm signing you right here on the spot. I've been looking for an act like you. It's like a real back to the future moment. Like, we've been waiting for something like this here. He's just like, just come down to my office tomorrow. I'm down by the Flextron building. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows. How do you get there? I'll just take a left at the, the Flextron building. We've got to record some repo discs of this music. <laughs> oh, let's just a couple, a couple turns. They're the repo disc. And what do they call the money in this world? Uh, Vons. Is that what it was? Vons? Yes, I believe the money is called Vons in this yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I want to make one quick side note, though, because... As they meet this guy, he's going to sign them. He's going to record all their albums. Like, he's going to be their manager. But when he first meets them here, he's just like, listen, I just heard you perform that school talent show. I have a janitor friend who lets me into the high school every time to listen. I'm just like, wait, slow down. You break into the high school through a janitor friend to look at school children. 
Could you imagine if uh, Gina had gone with her original plate balancing act? She could have got signed on that. (laughs) Yeah, basically, this is where the plot's going. Like, they're going to bring rock and roll music to the world. You know, Hal's not into it at first, and you think it's going to be... And it kind of is because he doesn't want them to draw attention to the fact they're fugitives in this world. But immediately, like, I thought that was going to be the big problem. But Hal's big problem with them recording these songs seems to be that they didn't write the music, so he feels like it's dishonest for them to take credit for these rock and roll songs. It's a weird idea that I think has has played a little bit before in the episode, this idea of like being honest in this world. Remember the episode, I think it was episode two, where Chase is failing out of school, and the dad's like, it doesn't matter if this school, you're only learning about corn. You still need to do your, do your best. And it's like, yeah, who cares? Take credit for these songs. What does it matter? None of this is real. Why are we keep pretending and living normal lives in this alternate reality that we've been dragged to? It's like, yeah, take credit for for uh, for the Beatles songs. Who cares? I was so baffled because it seemed for like probably twenty minutes of the episode for Hal, this seemed to be the moral lesson that was going to like wrap up in this episode to not steal, to like be truthful about what you've created. Because at some point. They even start writing one of the an original song for Trace and Gina. Like they start writing their own songs. Mm-hmm. They feel bad about their dad constantly berating them for like stealing music. <laughs> and it seems like that's where this is going to go. Until very abruptly, that is not the lesson of this of this episode. It, <laughs> it was such a weird turn where Hal's just like so upset with them for stealing music. And I agree. I'm like I'm like who cares, Hal? Who who gives a shit? I have an unrelated question to ask. During this episode, people were eating food out of what I can only explain as a foil, like, mylar balloon. Is that... Was that explained in an earlier episode, or is that just this bizarre There are a couple things. I I noticed that, too, and I was just like, what is happening? Why are they near that? I don't know if you've noticed this, too. This is at (laughs) Billy Sunshine's office, and then in the principal's office later as well, is both of them have little fruit trees growing on their desks that they are just eating the fruit off of during meetings. And I'm just like, there's office fruit in this world? I did notice that. He, like, popped the whole thing in his mouth. Yeah, and it's like a little shriveled prune-looking fruit. I was just like, what? like, the details in these worlds are baffling, but, like, fascinating. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there's just pros and cons of living in this city, right? In one sense, it's bad because there's no rock and roll, but... If you want a fresh piece of office fruit, you're good to go. Jordan, how much would you love that little a little office fruit tree on your desk? Just have fruit anytime you want. Yeah, that'd be all right. I, maybe you don't want one of those weird prune trees, but... <laughs> but yeah, Jordan, as you mentioned, like, Billy signs them. He has them into the studio. He's having them record their rock and roll music. They introduce them to kind of a, a band that's going to be, I guess, they're going to be the front people for this, like, you know... They're just band for hire that's going to work with them, which is great because they come in and, like... Gene and Trace are like, these guys suck at playing music. And they're like, move over. We'll show you how it's done. And my, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode is one of the guys in this, like, for hire band just like, are you guys even in the union? Yeah. No, he says, oh, I wrote it down. He says specifically to Gina, he says, uh, hey, babe, you in the union? <laughs> you can't pick up these instruments unless you're in the union. Yeah. Also, I really actually felt like this episode should have just been Gina. And for whatever reason, they thought we have to have trace brace whatever the stupid guy's name is we have to have him in it too he's already had his own episode this clearly should have been gina's episode of her becoming a pop star and it just felt like he was shoehorned in i agree i thought this was also going to be a gina specific episode and it did seem like there's something behind the scenes they're like well trace is going to be a heartthrob we have to have him front and center all the time i was disappointed that they did not choose to name their band gnt oh my god 
Oh my god, that's such a good idea. Way better than Trace and Gina, G and T. I know. Like, why has Trace even got to be the headliner? Like, come on. It's crazy. It's all Gina. Yeah, Gina was really shortchanged. I, she's still the best part of this episode because Trace sucks. But <laughs> Trace does suck. I'm all Team Gina myself. At any rate, like, they're there. They're recording the music. Billy Sunshine's so excited. They're gonna all get rich off of this stuff. There's this weird thing right at the end of the sequence where they're recording this music where the rest of the family arrives at the recording studio late to kind of watch them record <laughs> and i only mentioned it because they they walk into the recording studio and they announce sorry we're late smith my youngest son got locked in the bathroom and i had to take the door off the hinges <laughs> i know why is this coming back later nope and Smith, when he says it, Smith, this 10-year-old boy, is so embarrassed. He's like, Dad, shut up. He did also thank his dad, didn't he? He's like, thanks, Dad. I was like, what was ha- What does this mean? What was happening at home? There was a more interesting episode happening off camera. It's insane. Um, but it's what we're going to find out is like these repo discs, no radio station will play them. Despite the fact that Trace is having dream sequences where he gets to make out with every woman on Earth because he's uh, he's such a rock star. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because no radio station will play their music. So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to do live concerts and bring this music right to the people. I want to mention there was this one moment when they were in the recording studio after that embarrassing moment for the youngest son where like the machine just like comically spits out all this like neon pink tape and it makes like the most cartoonish noise as it ejects the tape and everyone's like oh no and I couldn't stop laughing at that. And again it it did it didn't have any repercussions at all it's just a scene you're like it it was almost as if you're like oh this is going to be how they're going to course correct and how they're going to set pack to zero that this music is actually now not existing in the world but it's like no it's just a funny scene we have to have this guy he's gonna have to have a longer day today he's gonna have to do overtime yeah i also thought with like when the magnetic tape fell off the reel i thought what we were gonna do because billy sunshine kind of pushes the family out of the room at that moment because like ah we got to unwind this now so you guys want to go have dinner and i thought for sure it's gonna be like billy sunshine's gonna like rip them off or something we're gonna see some behind the scenes of some nefarious plan nope no it just uh isn't it funny that this man now has to unravel all this tape yeah he did say something kind of like semi-ominous and that like they're gonna be big stars and like oh no hal doesn't want that but it didn't really who cares (laughs) yeah (laughs) Is this where they go to uh, what I would describe as the worst looking mall set I've ever seen in the history of TV and movie? I mean, let's get it. Let's let's get we got a little bit of time before we get there. I've got a few other things to cover, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) That's when they're at their height of fame. Just to say, like, they're going to start playing concerts now. That's where we see people getting blown away. Their fame starts really rising. Like there's an entire mob of fans now start surrounding their house. Dr. Claxton comes back into the episode because it's going to start becoming a Footloose-style plot because some some Weasley kid from their high school shows up at his office and is like, Dr. Claxton, listen to this rock and roll music. If you play it backwards, there's secret messages. And Dr. Claxton's like, children dancing, I can't take it. Like, th- like this is sort of the world that's being built up around this episode. Well, you're right, because there's, there's a couple different things happening. First, they set it up almost as if this um, idea of uh, the sort of like satanic panic of the 1980s against like heavy metal specifically. And then they also have just the idea of, you know, we're just trying to stop freedom. But then there's maybe also the idea of like fame can kind of corrupt you and it's not as 
it's not as great as it seems. And then there's also the idea of maybe authenticity of being true to yourself and not stealing other people's ideas. And then there's also the idea that maybe you can turn on your wife by dressing up like a clown. (laughs) All are true ideas. Yeah. I did Google it because I also noticed the Footloose uh, kind of things going on there. And Footloose came out on February 17th, 1984. And this episode came out on February 16th, 1985. I just assumed this was like an Footloose was an old plot. But they are like directly ripping off a thing that just came out. <laughs> yeah, it was like almost like the anniversary of Footloose this episode comes out. <laughs> um, you know, they're taking off. The church is taking notice. Dr. Claxton's not liking it. Sort of things are going weird at school, too. Like, not for Trace. Uh, the head cheerleader at school breaks up with her boyfriend so she can hook up with him immediately, and Trace loves it. She just wants this money. Yeah, she's a real materialistic money uh, gold digger, but Trace is into it. Gina gets in a fight with that Weasley kid, and the principal's kind of getting worried. He's just like, oh, this rock and roll music's destroying my school. And there's this, like, this is not important, but there's this weird scene where this principal goes to go see their parents at home. And, like, he's hiding in a bush and sees Hal dressed as a clown and then goes into the house and Billy Sunshine's in their home and he pretend he pretends to be their dad. And he calms the principal down because he's just like, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, you know why? Gina has the hots for you, so uh, why don't you cool it? And he's just like, oh, well, in that case, rock and roll rules. He was very into Gina liking him. Yeah, so everything's going great. Fans are going crazy. And this is the scene you wanted to talk about, Jordan, is Billy Sunshine shows up and he's just like, you've sold like 600,000 repo discs in the last, it's what, been two days? Yeah. Maybe a week. And he gives them their royalty checks and they've never seen so many zeros on a check. So they're like, you know what this means, you guys? Shopping spree. I just laugh because <laughs> a, a lot of the sets are seem like they're practical sets and, and they, they look fine. You don't really notice them. But for whatever reason, they thought... This ball sequence has to be a couple of like jewelry counters set up on an entirely black curtained off space. It just was like they were floating in space. They couldn't afford to go to a mall. No. And yeah, like the mall sequences, you know, it's just the fun shopping spree. Uh, Trace's new girlfriend is clearly milking him for everything he's worth. He doesn't care, though. He either doesn't notice because he's stupid or he just doesn't care. He's willing to spend so much money on this woman. I think he's just stupid because later he seems like real hurt about that. Because she doesn't love him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Some nerd at a makeup counter flirts with Gina. I don't know what that scene was about. (laughs) Well, to be fair, she also, he's like, can I get your autograph? She's like, how's this? And then she kisses his hand and he's like, swing. (laughs) Yeah, he like creams his jeans right there. And they discover, I think you mentioned this earlier, Jordan, they discover that in the seven days where they've just started being a band, (laughs) they've already produced thousands of Trace and Gina Barbie dolls, talking Trace and Gina Barbie dolls. It feels like they would have had to be consulted about that first. Well, here's the thing. their likeness. There's some pros and cons of having, uh, what's his name? Billy Billy Shoeshine? What's his name? Sunshine. Sunshine. Billy Sunshine as your manager. One, he's probably not giving them all the money that they that they should be getting and he's clearly not getting their permission for stuff however he's so efficient in this span of a few days has been able to contact a toy company have the likeness made and manufacture and get them into stores like this guy's worth whatever he's taken a hundred percent did you uh did either of you catch uh what the what the dolls say 
Oh, I can't remember. It's just it's it it's something like uh, don't ask me. I'm just a girl. <laughs> I mean that's that's the idea of it. Like there's like a pull string on the back and they talk and they only they only pull Gina's string twice and I wrote them both down because I was like yes I can't wait to hear what these toys say. Uh, one of her quotes is rock and roll makes me party. <laughs> and the other one was express yourself. Be cool. <laughs> that's pretty good, Luke. If I pulled your string, what would it say? Uh, what's real? What's real? Yeah. <laughs> what would yours say, John? I'd forget that I was supposed to come up with something that was real. You're like, uh, I wasn't prepared to have a <laughs> pull string. Yeah, I would just stumble, and they'd be like, "We'll fix it in the edit." <laughs> I forgot this recording was today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it. <laughs> All right, everyone. It's okay. I, I have my own flaws. Pile on, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at any rate, though, the shopping spree ends. Hal and June come home. They're pissed at their kids. They've just got all this stuff everywhere. They don't know how they could have spent 40,000 Vons in 25 hours. The kids say it was fun and hard. Well, I think part of the problem is instead of teaching kids in school the value of money, they've been teaching them just about corn. <laughs> That's true. That's a problem in our current schools with the money, not the corn. <laughs> Um, and Dr. Claxton has been like, you know, off in the background freaking out about all of this. And he, he heads down to the principal and he's just like, you've got to expel Trace and Gina. These people are corrupting our children. You have to get them out of school. And, you know, the principal's kind of been won over because he thinks Gina might have the hots for him. And he's trying to talk the principal down. I think at some point he's even just like, don't worry, Dr. Claxton. It's a fad. Uh, I know they used to play with, the kids used to play with the Prater dolls last week. This week, they're playing with Hal and Hal or Trace and Gina. Next week, who knows? Maybe it's Dr. Claxton dolls. <laughs> um, but Dr. Claxton, you know, using his weight as a uh, shill for the government, threatens basically the principal's job. And the principal is forced to expel Trace and Gina from school. And um, when this news gets back to Hal, Hal and uh, June, they're, they're furious. They're pissed off about it. And uh, Billy Sunshine shows up, and he's just like, Guess what, guys? I just booked you your biggest gig ever. It's going to have a live, I believe they call it a live video beam to two other provinces on three other networks. It's going to be great. And Hal stops me. He's like, listen, this has gone far enough. Have you heard what's happened to my children? They've been expelled. And again, it's like, what does it matter? It's so weird that Hal's always so irritated about this sort of thing. And I'd be like, if I was his kid, I'd be like, why are you even sending me to school in this other dimension? It's so ridiculous. Well, that's what I thought you might like the scene because he he announces this to Billy Sunshine in the middle of his announcement that like they're going to have the biggest concert of their lives, and Billy Sunshine stops and he's like, "I'm stunned. You'd interject with that completely irrelevant piece of news." <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He, he immediately is like, "Shut up, Hal. Who gives a shit about school? Your kids are currently millionaires." But he does have a point because I think he even goes further and he says. The point of school is to prepare these kids for life. They're already living life, so who cares? Exactly. And while this kind of conversation is happening about this big concert that Hal's upset about and then being expelled and Billy Sunshine's like, I don't care, we're rich. Dr. Claxton's outside their home and he's like burning, he's burning their, what do you call them, repo repo discs outside trying to like boycott rock and roll music. And we're basically having this weird scene where like Hal doesn't want them to expose themselves in this concert, but there's like a religious protest out front and they're throwing rocks to their windows. And suddenly Hal does a complete like 180 on his position. Cause he's just like, cause like Hal sees this protest and he's just like, wait a minute, this isn't about rock and roll music. It's about freedom. 
you have to go perform. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I know it was odd because the whole point he just made was they've drawn way too much attention to themselves and they're going to get caught in this world. But then he's like, but also rock and roll. America, it's about freedom. We can't <laughs> yeah. let this religious leader stop my kids from exposing themselves. It was insane. And can I make one little quick point on the, the 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 group that was riding outside their house? I thought the point was supposed to be that they were all really angry because you know they do throw rock through their window and they're like burning stuff. But then one of the people, one of the person, had a sign that was like, "I love Gina and uh, and Trace." I was like, "This person doesn't know what they're doing." Like there's counter protesters. I think I they're guess. supposed to be intermixed amongst the fans that also mob their house. It's it's oh. there's a lot going on outside the house. Does Gina pick up one of the rocks that was thrown in the house and throw it back out through an unbroken window? She does. Or did I imagine that? No, she does. A rock comes to their window. Gina picks it up, throws it back out through another window, and I think she hits Doctor Doctor Claxton in oh, his yeah. leg, and he's like, "Oh it my does. leg." <laughs> Yeah, he's a real wiener about it. Like, oh, no. There's, like, so much insanity happening from scene to scene. It's it's hard to even, like, note all of it. There's It's kind of insane. In fact, like, right after this, because they're, like, going to do the concert, but I guess because Hal's worried about them getting, like, discovered, we have another dream sequence with Trace where he's having <laughs> a similar dream where he's trying to make out with all these chicks again as a rock star. But this time, the series villain, Kroll... He's wearing a blonde wig and turns around as they try to kiss, and he pulls off his wig. He's like, "Give me a kiss." It was like something from like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I had no idea who that was at the time, and I was like, "What? Who did he just dream about kissing?" Wouldn't it be great if the whole thing was just about how Trace is just discovering his sexuality, and he's like, "Wait a minute, maybe I actually like men." I also noted too that this is now for Jen, especially, is the second episode where Crawl Crawl's not at all in the last one. He's only comes in now in the last 10 minutes of the episode, the series villain Krull finally reappears. And I was like, oh, yeah, they really don't know what to do with Krull, do they? Yeah, I saw him in the intro and I was like, oh, who's this like space Nazi or something? And then it's like, (laughs) he did not matter. That's because in this episode, you don't need a villain because the real villain's restriction on freedom. It's true. (laughs) Um, At any rate, they're going to have this concert. Dr. Claxton's obviously freaking out. So this is where he calls up the Praetor to uh, demand that he do step in and do something about rock and roll music. What I love about this call to the Praetor, though, is uh, he's calling, um, I believe it's uh, Emergency Reception 8. <laughs> but in order to get into Emergency Reception, you have to log in first. And did you guys catch how you log into a, 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 a teleconferencing meeting in this world? No. The either operator or basically Zoom robot who's waiting for you to come in, he's like, he's like, let me log into emergency reception eight. And the robot says, what is your penetration code? Oh. He, then he gives a number and the robot's like, penetration confirmed. When he asked for his penetration code, didn't he say balls deep? Oh. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Don't worry. We'll cut it out. <laughs> oh, I knew someone in university and that was his password. <laughs> <laughs> that truly was his penetration code. <laughs> Um, at any rate, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, the Praetor does not take this religious leader seriously at all. And he kind of just like, is like, oh, I'll send somebody. I'll send somebody to check out this rock and roll you're so worried about. And he's like, I'll send Kroll as a prank on Kroll? Yeah, I guess. Or did you guys see the Praetor before? Probably like in episode one and two. I was just like, who is this guy? Why is he just standing straight like a board and like looking up all the time? They have teased the Praetor as some sort of leader in the first two episodes, but never shown what the Praetor was. And I thought this was going to be a tease to a larger villain. 
But then you are abruptly given the most generic looking white haired man standing in a video conference. I'm like, oh, I guess this is the Praetor. Yeah, it's like no one showed him where the camera is. He doesn't know where to look. It should have been Werner Horzog, shouldn't it? <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been perfect. Um, like this show likes to do, we just jump right into like the action. We're at the big final show. Trace and Gina are planning basically to do this final show. The family is waiting in the wings. They're all going to escape once they kind of like do the final number. And we just basically get a big rock and roll show. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they finally play their first piece of original music in this. Yeah, that's right. Because they, they, they sing a song where they name check all the Beatles. I think that's what the song's called. It's called The Beatles and then in brackets, name check. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Dr. Clacton arrives. He's brought Krull with him. He's showing them, just, he's just showing Krull like, look at the sin that's happening here. We can't allow this. And what I love is Krull's just like, no, I think it sounds good. I like this music, actually. I'm like, check out the chicks who are here. This is a lot of fun. It takes him so long to actually recognize, like, Tina and, or wait, Gina and Trace. I mix up their names. <laughs> but he's, like, watching for, like, the whole concert. And then at the last, like, five seconds of their song, he's like, wait a minute. From a narrative perspective of the series we've watched so far, He's only bumped into the family one time and was knocked unconscious and largely didn't get a look at them. He doesn't know who he's been looking for. Okay. And the next time he met them, he only met Trace face to face. So really, he should potentially recognize Trace. But we have never seen any indication that he's ever like really got any good sense of what this family looks like. Okay, that's fair then. I had assumed that he like totally would just instantly recognize them. And I was like, this is kind of embarrassing. Dude. Well, it is some stakes that they have for the show, but they it doesn't really work. I don't think it actually like, I'm just saying from what we've seen, this is the amount of information he should have. I don't think they actually have like established that very clearly in the show. I think we're supposed to think on the show, he knows exactly what they look like. He recognizes them on site. Either way, he rushes the stage. He tries to get to the stage to, I guess, grab them but there's so many fans it's hard to get there and then security pulls him away because they think he's just like an old creeper who's trying to get to stage yeah and you know they reach the end of their finale it's you know the finale has a big firework explosion and i thought for sure they were going to come back and do an encore knowing crawl was there i thought that was going to be like the big thing they're going to stand for freedom by doing a doing an encore in front of crawl i thought the exact thing but no they just jump in limos and escape and we kind of get a final farewell scene. Billy Sunshine kind of like helps them. I kind of thought he was a dirtbag before this, but he's like, oh, you're trying to escape and you're fugitives? I'll help you. And he like gets them in a different limo or something. Yeah, and the he gets in the way. has other people, yeah. And we just get like a, a final moment where he, like they thank Billy Sunshine for all their help and he thanks them for making him so wealthy and that he's not worried about them leaving because he has a whole bunch of rock and roll acts lined up to now go. He's like, I'm going to be the richest man on this planet. Like, you've really helped me out a lot. And before they drive away, there's the most... This girlfriend we've mentioned, Trace's, like, gold-digging girlfriend, I barely tracked her. I don't even know what her name is. She just, like, would pop up occasionally as, like, one gag. But we have a whole farewell scene between them where Trace seems to realize she was a gold digger all along, and she tries to claim she loves him, and then he gives her an envelope of money, but she's like, wait, this is empty? And then he gives her a th- like a thumb. I didn't know what was happening with this like farewell to this money, this gold digging girlfriend. It didn't make any sense to me. It was very confusing. He does give her like a very sweet, I'll always love you. And he like blows a kiss to her. And she's like, there's no money here. It was baffling. It was baffling. Anyway, that they're back on the run off to New Province. That's the end of the episode. They invented rock and roll and now they're on the run again. <laughs> 
what are the bets that there's going to be any repercussions to them having their facial likeness, like probably on posters and on dolls and like for their recognizability in future episodes? That's what I thought too. I'm just like, theoretically, this is going to spread like wildfire to the other provinces. You guys are going to be the most famous people. But for sure, that's never going to come up again. I just hope that yeah. in the background of like another episode, you'll just see a little Trace doll just sitting on a bed or something. That'd be great. Yeah, they do like to add those weird little things in the background. We like skimmed over a lot of their performance in this, but like all of their performances were genuinely insanely edited and shot. Like a lot of movement, a lot of intercutting with like unrelated stuff. There is one performance that when they reach the climax of, I believe it's a surrender. An atomic bomb explodes. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. Insane. I don't know. Do you guys have any final thoughts on either of these episodes before we get to get to ratings? Um, I guess I just had one other note that like when they went to the recording studio and they had those union guys, like they just picked up their instruments and it started like sounding like rock and roll guitar. And I'm like, you didn't even tweak the settings on this <laughs> instrument. They had all the power to make rock and roll without you and they just chose not to. <laughs> It's true. They were just like, we're very happy with this music. <laughs> I hope that in every episode, we're going to see a scene where a woman turns around and then pulls off her, her wig and it ends up being Kroll. That's my, <laughs> that's my, that's my highest expectations for this show. I would love if Kroll that was a master of disguise. That would be awesome. Yeah. Just like the Dean from Community. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jordan, I have, a, I have a little treat for you. The mm-hmm. director of Paradise Lost, J- Thomas J. Wright, is a mm-hmm. continuum drag all-star. Oh no! What did he direct? I'm, I, can I guess? I bet it's I bet it's uh, the Westworld show. He directed Threshold, Freaky Links, and six episodes of Space Above and Beyond, including the finale. Wow! This is probably still the one he's remembered for most. Yeah, the uh, the island where they milk liquid out of people's lips. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna make a note on. I, I think I think we both we've all noted that the there's a bit of a tonal shift in that rock and roll episode as far as like the shooting style and the editing style and like it having a weird energy to it and i think there is a reason for that because as i was looking into the making of it this episode so far is the only one that was both written and directed by series creator roderick taylor Hmm. so i i think what we're seeing is maybe the tone he actually always had for this show so i don't know it's interesting because it does feel the most the least like the other episodes well it's the most zany it's almost like an episode of the monkeys is what it kind of felt like but not a very good homage but that seemed to be the almost energy that sort of like hard day's night like you almost would expect them to be like running and fast forward and stuff that's i think what they were going for but maybe didn't quite execute it that yeah it had, a, it had a weird energy that was not present in the previous episodes anyway let's rate these let's start off with the first episode we watched paradise lost Jen, uh, out of out of ten stars, how are you feeling about this? Mm, this may seem harsh, but I kind of want to give it a five, just because like I hated Hal so much. That doesn't sound that doesn't harsh enough to me. Okay, all right. I'll go next then. Um, yeah, this this episode sucked. It was so hard to like. Hal was so unlikable. The whole thing was like kind of just like the most boring version of this thing, and it didn't work. I I'm going. I'm going to give it a two. For that exploding island, and I, that's about it. <laughs> I'm going to go very similarly. I thought this, there was some interesting ideas they could have developed, but they chose, every time there was an interesting idea, they chose to go the opposite direction. Um, so I'm going to give it points only for the outfits they wore in their uh, their space ball, whatever game they were playing. Fission ball. Yeah, I'm going to give this a 3 out of 10. 
Three out of oh ten. Oh my god, I rated higher than Jordan. I was way too generous. <laughs> you 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 loved it by comparison. Oh my god, this is what I'll be known for. All right. Uh, well, what do you want to give Rock and Roll Suicide, Jen? Uh, like five point five. Like I did not actually enjoy all the music. <laughs> it was too much music. I agree. There was way too much music in this. But I think it was like tiny bit better than the other one because I got to see Hal as a clown. <laughs> Jordan, what? How are you feeling? It's so weird. I, I appreciate that they were trying to do something different, and and you know after you you explained that this was the uh, the showrunner his sort of episode, but it just something that's becoming uh, very common in the show is the execution is just not very good. Like I, I like that you have no idea where the episode's going to go because it's a mess, but it's still a mess. So four and a half out of ten. Four and a half out of ten. Yeah, I mean, the episode is a mess. It's felt the weirdest of all of them. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen next because it kept turning onto what the plot was. It was had the craziest tonal energy. Like, I honestly wish that Roderick what, Taylor, I think that's his name, I wish he directed one of the first two episodes because I would have liked to see those more interesting sci-fi plots with this level of, like, insane energy to them. Because I think there's... Well, it's not good. Like, I don't think he's harnessing his energy necessarily in the best way. It at least is just like a madhouse. I felt like I was just watching an insane asylum for most of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, I give it an eight. <laughs> it's funny. I, I almost <laughs> I almost gave it a really high score, too, because it was just you have to give some credit for something that's just so bizarre. You don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't mean it's good. It's not critically good, but I loved watching it. I was just like, this is madness. <laughs> <laughs> it was I honestly I wish more of the episodes had the feeling of this one I wanted to give it higher but it, like it just tends to it does drag like some of the other episodes but it, I want Roderick just to direct them all I think Roderick would change my feelings about this show entirely I think this is going to be the high point of the series though in terms of this like 100%. you don't know what to expect because the two teenagers becoming pop stars in the 48 hours they're not going to be able to top that I, I 100% agree this has to be the high watermark unless like unless they let this man go crazy because i think this creator could go insane if allowed to like get off leash but i don't think Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen i think we've just seen the high water market yeah hence my high score (laughs) (laughs) hey i gave it a four and a half (laughs) (laughs) all right well that about wraps up for this episode jen thank you so much for joining us to watch these two episodes you're welcome thank you for having me they truly must have felt like getting sideswiped by a car because there's no way you could have known what was happening (laughs) I was so confused, especially with the intro to the first episode I watched. I was like, "Oh, I feel like I'm missing a lot of info," but it turns out I really wasn't. No, I think that's how everyone that's in how they are. Any, anyone in 1985 watching this also felt it's like, "What? Why am I watching footage?" And they're on a in a laser storm. What? <laughs> oh, the laser storm! But yes, Jen, I, we appreciate you joining us, and it was a lot of fun doing this, um, listener. You, of course, can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com if you've got any other world insights. And then on Instagram and Twitter, at Continuum Dregs, that handle, we're going to have some uh, clips from this show. You're definitely going to hear some music. I don't see how you're going to avoid it. (laughs) All the copyrighted music they somehow have. I know. It's all going to get pulled off Instagram immediately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that about wraps it up. So, listener, thanks for joining us again this week. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. If I can't get Mike and Mechanics on, I'm not going to get the Beatles. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.